Well, today's message is going to probably seem a little bit out of order. We've uh, spent a lot of time with Jesus as he was on the cross before Easter, and we pondered his death, and we celebrated his resurrection. And But we're going to go back to just a couple days or a day or so before his crucifixion, and Jesus is with his disciples, and he knows that his time is, is running out, and there's only a few hours left with them, a few moments remaining to uh, prepare uh, the precious uh, waning time to make sure that his disciples have, have got it. There's not a whole lot of time left, and he just he needs to make sure that they understand what this is all about. And he knew this occasion would be this lasting memory. This meal that he was going to be having with them was going to be this lasting memory, a time that they would remember uh, for the rest of their life. But he knew it was going to be short, and it had to be used for this greatest efficiency possible. So go ahead and turn with me. Uh, to our text. It's found in uh, John chapter 13. We're going to start right at the very beginning of that, that uh, chapter. John, again, is a, in the second part of the Bible, the New Testament. He's, it's the fourth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you get to Acts and Romans, you've gone too far. Go back just a little bit. You'll find him. Okay, John was one of Jesus's best friends. He was one of Jesus's closest disciples, and the Gospel of John was the last of these four Gospels that were written, and John's purpose for writing it was for both teaching and for evangelistic purposes. So John wanted everyone, John wanted the Jews, and he wanted also the Gentiles to know about Jesus and to know that he was actually the Savior He's actually the Messiah that they've been listening or been waiting for. So I want you to listen in. John chapter 13, verse 1. <clears throat> it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil was already had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying with them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no parts of me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet for their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, returned to his place. Do you understand what I had done for you? He asked. You call me teacher and Lord, 
and rightfully so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who has sent him. And now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So this was the the night uh, right before Jesus' betrayal and his crucifixion. Jesus had spent the past three years in his public ministry. And now he turns his attention away from the public and he's going to focus in on these 12 guys, his disciples. This night was just for them. They were going to have to continue where Jesus was going to uh, leave things for them, where Jesus left off. They didn't know it at the time. They didn't understand that that was what was going to happen. And so Jesus gives them this greatest example, and he washes their feet. Now, I want you to understand it and try to imagine this uh, for a moment and what this would be like in this culture. In that culture, the most demeaning task you could possibly do was to wash the guest's feet. This was a job that was reserved usually for the lowest of the slaves. But it was also necessary because people wore sandals during those days and, and people traveled around by foot and they, they walked along the trails and the roads and, and those roads were not only dusty, but they were also cluttered with what the camels and the donkeys were leaving behind. And so it wasn't just for cleanliness purposes, it was also for hygiene reasons that it became a common courtesy that if you were going to invite people to your house that um, you would have your servant wash the guest's feet as soon as they entered. And so Jesus had, had sent Peter and John up uh, ahead to prepare this meal. And, and so they arrive and the food has been cooked and the table has been set. And, you know, this is their Passover meal. So they had the bitter herbs there. They uh, had the lamb ready. And I'm sure the disciples thought somebody was going to be there to take care of the foot washing as well. And so as Jesus and the disciples entered that room that day, they probably saw the towel and the, and the water basin over in the corner, but there was no servant by the basin. Perhaps some of them paused as they entered in that room and thought, well, where is he? Where is the servant? Who, who's going to wash our feet? And they probably thought how rude we are for walking into this home with such dirty feet. Boy, Peter and John really dropped the ball on this one. You've heard of that before. It's called the it's not my job syndrome, right? It's not my job to do that. Um, if there's ever an example of it, this is it. This is uh, it's not my job syndrome. Even though every disciple was sitting there and they were uncomfortable with the dirtiness and the uncleanliness of their feet, they began to justify it in their own mind that it wasn't their responsibility to do anything about it. It was somebody else's job to do it. Somebody probably thought, well, somebody ought to at least wash Jesus's feet, but 
that's not my job. I'm not the, the servant. And we know how that eternal dialogue might go. Well, if I do this once, then I'm going to get stuck with that job every single time that we go somewhere from now on, right? So maybe if I just wait, <coughs> somebody else is going to do it and it, I won't get stuck with that job. Have you seen that mentality in the church as well? I have. You know, somebody really needs to take care of that, but it's not my ministry. Somebody needs to clean those bathrooms. Somebody really dropped the ball on that one. You know, I hear they don't have enough people serving in the nursery last week. Somebody really ought to step up and wash, watch those kids. And the conversation might go, well, that's a great idea. Why don't you do it? Oh, no, no, no. Not me. Not me. I remember when I was a... <clears throat> a new Christian, and I went to uh, a Promise Keeper event. If you remember Promise Keeper, these big arena events for, for men. And this arena was packed with people, and the MC said something that I will never forget and maybe really changed my world outlook. He said, gentlemen, <clears throat> Christians don't leave a place worse than they found it. So pick up your garbage the cleaning crew should stand around and stare at one another after they leave because there is nothing for them to do. Let's leave this place better than when we arrived. That'll preach, right? It's, pr it's pretty good advice for us. It's solid advice for us as Christians. When we leave, the world should know that a follower of Jesus was there. We should know, they should know that. So I want you to follow along here. If you're taking notes, the first thing we need to do is we need to look at what Jesus did this day. Let's look at what Jesus did. <coughs> Verses four and five that says that Jesus got up, he took off his outer garment, he wrapped that towel around his waist and he poured the water in the basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet. Now, I think at this time when this is going on and Jesus, the, the rabbi, is washing the feet of the disciples, some of their jaws must have dropped when he started to do that. But Jesus decides on this last night that he's not going to start it with a lecture. He's going to start it with an example. See, I've learned something about, about leadership. If you don't have anybody following you, you aren't a leader, right? Right? If you think that you're leading and no one is following you, then you're just really an egotistical nut that is just telling people what to do. That's not a leader. People follow an example a whole lot better than they follow a demand to get something done. That's what servant leadership is. And so here was a need. Everybody saw it. Everybody knew it. Everybody knew what had to be done. They felt it. It wasn't hard to see what was wrong. And people in the church see the need long before someone has ever been recruited to do that task. You know what? People probably walk past. I've done it too. I've walked past that piece of paper or that stray bulletin that might fall on the ground and, and uh, long before 
Michelle and her cleaning crew ever get to it, but I just walk past it sometimes. A lot of people notice that the nursery needs help long time before Pastor Shauna needs to recruit. I suspect all the disciples knew something was wrong, but none of them grabbed the towel, just Jesus. And they just sat and they waited for somebody else to do it. Well, somebody did do it. Jesus did it. Jesus met the need. Jesus took the appropriate action. I want you to look here what he did in these two verses, four and five. Number one, he got up for the meal. And I bet Jesus was, was comfortable lounging at that table. And so write this down. In order to serve someone, you're going to have to leave your comfort zone. It said so much now in the church that this has become such a cliche. We, we say it all the time. Hey, we, Christians, we're going to have to leave our comfort zone. But it's, we say it all the time because it's true. And we love our com- comfort zone. So Jesus left his comfort zone. He made his body do something that his body didn't want to do at the time. He was tired. He had been on his feet all day. My alarm went off at 5.50 this morning, and I hit snooze three times. (laughs) See, and after a lengthy discussion with my own body, it got up. And so to be a servant, you have to get up. You have to go somewhere. You got to do something that you may not want to do, but that's what it's going to take. Now, here's the thing about serving in the body of Christ. It doesn't have to be uncomfortable. Jesus shouldn't have had to wash those crusty and dirty feet of the disciples. He, He didn't have to, but Jesus wanted to. There's the difference. This wasn't a chore for him. He loved them, and so therefore, he is going to serve them. The second thing here is, it says that he took off his outer clothing. And to serve others, sometimes we're going to have to lay something aside. Most of us, how many people here, raise your hand if you are busy. Anybody here busy? Some of you raise your hand, some of you are lying right? You're busy. A lot of us are are busy, right? We have a full plate of activity. If I'm going to add service for somebody, if I'm going to take care of somebody, if I'm going to do something for somebody, I probably am going to have to subtract something that I would like to do just for myself. Every servant is going to have to deny himself something in order to have the time and the energy to give that time and energy to someone else. Number three, he wrapped that towel around his waist and he began to pour the water into the basin. So the third one here, the third point here is a servant prepares to meet the need. Most people don't know that my sermon schedule is usually planned almost a year in advance. So I I sit down with the Holy Spirit. I sit down with the Lord and and ask him what he wants me to preach and sermon series and ideas and things like that. Now that might change during the year, but pretty much I know what I'm going to be preaching about a year in advance. I know what I'm going to be preaching in winter. 
And so I give that schedule to our pastoral staff and Pastor Rebecca takes that uh, sermon schedule and she prays about it and then she brings music that go along with the theme of the sermon and those kind of things don't happen by chance. And we found that the Holy Spirit is really amazing at making preparations in advance for a Sunday. See, we found that the Holy Spirit works just as strongly with advanced planning as the Holy Spirit does spontaneously. He's really good at planning. For example, <clears throat> um, a while ago, Pastor Shauna felt that she should lead the kids on a Wednesday night and activate in a foot washing service. And so she planned it for last Wednesday. She knew the timing was off, but she felt like this was the week she needed to do a foot washing service with the kids. She didn't know what I was going to preach about. My sermon uh, schedule had changed and it needed to shift. And so she didn't know what I was going to be preaching about today. And I didn't know that she was going to be washing the kids' feet, but the Holy Spirit knew, and he lined things up. <clears throat> I want you to even take a moment to look at some of these pictures from Wednesday night. That was a holy moment in kid zone. That's what happens back there. That's what happens in our, in our children's department. Amazing <clears throat> servant leaders providing amazing examples. And so Jesus sent two of his disciples ahead to prepare. And there waiting for him was the water and the towel in advance for the need to be met. Number four, or point four, and he began. I like that. At some point, we must begin, right? <clears throat> if you, we can think about it. We can pray about it. We can prepare for it. But at some point, we need to start doing it, Right? The, the need will never be met if we never take action. And so Jesus washed the disciples' feet and he dried them with a towel. And I want you to notice how John describes Jesus' behavior in verse 1. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. He was taking time. He needed to prepare these guys for what was ahead. In less than 12 hours, he is going to be nailed to a cross. And so in John 15, 13, <clears throat> it says these words, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for his friends. And so that's what Jesus has done for you and me. What an example. 
But I found something else in this text that's very powerful, at least to, to me. Uh, secondly, I want you to, let's look at what Jesus knew. As he ser- served the disciples in this situation, I'm amazed oftentimes about the things that Jesus did and the actions that he took. But what amazes me the most is why Jesus did them. And, and so the first point here is that Jesus knew that his time had come. He knew that it was time that he was going to leave the world and go to the Father. And he knew he was rapidly approaching the most important moments of his entire life. He knew that in just a few short hours, all of the agony and the pain of the cross were, were right ahead of him. It was imminent. So here's a question for us. If you knew that you were going to die a terrible death, Tomorrow, what would your focus be on? What would your uh, point of interest be? I can tell you that I'd probably be thinking about myself. I'd probably be thinking about all the things that I was going to have to go through. I wish I could say otherwise, but the drive for self-preservation is pretty strong. And John, the author here, is is wanting us to see this part of Jesus. We got to understand this part of who he is, fully God, fully man. Here is Jesus facing something. We can't even imagine what he is going to be going through. And he's not saying to his disciples a single time in this evening, don't you care what I'm facing See, here we have our Lord. He's not focused on himself at all. He's concerned that all of these guys are prepared themselves for what's going to happen. Jesus is focused on others. We see that with Jesus throughout this entire ordeal. In a few hours, Jesus is going to be arrested. What was his concern during his arrest? Was it for himself? No. No. When he was arrested, his concern was that the disciples would go free. When he was standing before Pilate, did he make the argument that he was innocent? No. Jesus was more concerned that Barabbas would go free than himself. When those nails went through the flesh, did he strike out in retaliation? No. He forgave them for what they did. When listening to insults and mockery on the cross, he ministered to the thief that was hanging next to him. Jesus knew his time had come to serve others right up until his very end. Second point here is verse three says, Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and he was returning to God. So that second point is he knew who he was. With all that in mind, he bowed before this, the disciples and he washed their feet. He was not ignorant of the authority that, that the father had given him. He never did. He said, what am I doing? What a stupid idea this was to wash all these guys' feet. What am I doing? I'm God. No, he never said that. So a great leader is comfortable in their own skin. A great leader is comfortable in their own authority. So much so that they can bow down and become a servant. 
See, it's not great men who will not serve others. It's an insecure man that won't serve others. The ones that think that washing feet defines them or makes them something less than they are. That person will not serve in a lowly task because that person seems sees it as a challenge to their identity. When our real identity in Christ is, is to become the servant. Notice something that Jesus knew, the third point here in verse 11. It says, for he knew who was going to betray him, but he also knew his influence. He knew Judas was going to betray him. He knew he... Judas was full of deceit and hypocrisy, and he knew Judas was going to stab him in the back. He knew all about it. But what does he do with that information? What would you do with that information? Jesus comes near to Judas. Jesus doesn't point his finger at him and say, how dare you? After all I've done for you, I spent three years with you. No, he loves him up until the very, very end. He does everything possible to bring Judas to this point of repentance. He washes his feet with the same tenderness and affection that he gave all of the other 11 that aren't going to betray him. Could you do that? Could we wash the feet of our enemy? Would we serve the person that we we know that he or she's never going to return that kindness to us. Would we do that? Jesus did. He knew his influence over those that were going to betray him. He knew his influence over his enemy. And so now in the last part of this passage in verses 12 through 17, let's look at what Jesus taught us. He begins with the question, Do you understand? Do you understand the, what I've done for you? Basically saying, do you understand the significance of this? See, it goes way beyond getting your feet washed. It goes way beyond getting your need met. When Jesus comes into our lives, he loves us, the good, bad, and the ugly. He receives us. And then he meets our needs. And sometimes people think that that's what it's all about, that Jesus is just coming in my life and I get to pray to him and I get to ask for whatever I want. And the Bible says that if I ask, he'll give it to me and, and it's just all about me. No, it's not. Yes, the gift of salvation is personal. It, yes, it comes with this gift of eternity in heaven, but Salvation is also for the here and now. It's not just reserved for something great that's going to happen after you leave this world or when Jesus comes back to claim his church. Salvation is also for your time here on earth. It's for your personal transformation, for your transformation of your character, for the transformation of how you think about things. It's about becoming something that you weren't before you met Jesus, it's all about becoming a servant just like him. Verse 15 says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. 
See, this is why PFN is all about being known, valued, <clears throat> and purposed. This purpose is the example that Christ has given us. We need to serve. We never came here to be served by somebody. We came here to serve others. So that's why leaders in Kids Zone got down on their knees and washed the feet of children. I remember a time when <clears throat> Carol and I went on a work and witness trip to, to Haiti and we were gonna go down there to uh, help run this uh, medical clinic. And we took Isaiah with us that year. But he's 12-ish, around in there. Um, <clears throat> and we, we found out real quickly that people in Haiti suffer with different injuries and things than we do here in the States. And, and so this young patient came in that had been bitten by a pig. I'm sure that happens here, but we've never run into it. And so this, the wound had become really infected and the bandages need to be changed. And, and Isaiah just happened to walk back into the patient area and he saw that festering wound on that child's leg and almost passed out right there. <clears throat> but it reminds me of a story that I heard about a wealthy American that visited a hospital in Southeast Asia. He entered justice. This young missionary nurse was cleaning the sores of a sick and dirty elderly man that had been found lying in a gutter. And that wealthy man said to the nurse, I wouldn't do that for a million dollars. And she answered, right, neither would I, neither would I. See, it's the love of Christ in our hearts that makes us become foot washers and nurses that will clean the wounds of a homeless man. It's the love of Christ in us that compels us to take a meal to a family that's too stressed out or, or busy to fix their own dinner. It's the love of Christ that <clears throat> makes us go out of our way to pick somebody up on a Sunday morning so they have a ride to church. It's the love of Christ that, that asks us to do simple things, simple acts of service, like picking up our own garbage after church or after the ball game or after a movie. And my personal pet peeve, putting the shopping cart back into the corral or taking it back to the, to the store. It's the love of Christ that makes us get up, leave our comfort zone, clear our calendar, get some room in our to-do list so we can take care of someone else. It's the love of Christ that connects us to the purpose of our life, which is to love one another just as Christ loves us. Before every child in Kid Zone last Wednesday had their feet washed by those servants in Kid Zone, they quoted John 13, verses 34 and 35 to every child. Will you put that last picture back up on the screen? This is what they said to them as they washed their feet. <clears throat> First name, I give you a new command. Love one another. You must love one another just as Jesus loved you. For if you love one another, everyone will know 
that you are a disciple of Jesus. PFN, I give you a new command. Love one another. It's your purpose. For if you love one another, everyone will know that you are a disciple of Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, can I be the first one to admit to you that washing somebody else's feet is nasty and gross to me? But Lord, if that's what you call me to do, I'm going to do it all day long. Lord, there's a whole lot of things that need to be done. This world is hurting. This world is broken. But you have called the church. You have created created the church on purpose for a purpose. The church is the hope of this world. You get to work through the church You could do all of it yourself just with the snap of your fingers or just with the word. Every need could be met. That's not your plan. You have decided that the church gets to be you on earth. And so, Lord, would you help us to find our purpose? How do you want us to take care of others? And, Lord... May we start right here. Lord, may we learn to love one another because when we love one another, everybody else will know that we are disciples of you. So Lord, help us to find that purpose. Help us to find our job. Help us to clear out a a spot on our calendar, a night during the week. Help us, Lord, to push something aside, maybe to give something up so we can meet the need of someone else. Help us, Lord, to be the church. And we will give you all the glory and all the honor. Lord, you are a great and wonderful God. But you don't want us to just sit and wait around for heaven. There's a job to be done. There's a purpose that needs to be met. So Lord, thank you for leading us that way. Help us, help us to do it. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray. And all of us say together, amen. Have an incredible, incredible weekend. Love you.